Welcome to Inside Audit, EEA Belgium's podcast. I'm Cedric Hamakers, and today we're going to talk about fraud risks. According to ACFE's report to the nations, certified fraud examiners estimate that organizations lose 5% of revenue to fraud every year. In the 2022 Risk in Focus, fraud is still considered a significant risk. And last but not least, recently a fraud case was discovered by Belgian beer brewer AB InBev, where fraudsters turned beer back into water. I always thought it was the other way around, so more than enough reasons to spend some time on this topic, together with our two guests of today, Gerwinde Vinkier and Koen Albers. Gerwinde Vinkier is a criminologist, she was a scientific researcher in the past and she made a PhD on adolescent victims. She is a registered fraud auditor and for almost 10 years she's a forensic investigator at iForce, an independent forensic audit firm specialized in fraud investigations. And Koen Albers, who is a current board member and a past president of ACFE Belgium, a former head of internal audit that was also involved in investigating fraud, and currently he's a member of several public sector audit committees and he is also a certified fraud examiner. Welcome, Gerwinde and Koen. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much. Gerwinde, you are a criminologist. It feels like a small step, but did you immediately know you wanted to be a fraud investigator? Uh, not really, actually. Uh, I started my career as a scientific researcher. I made a PhD on adolescent victims and then I switched to forensic investigations. But for me, uh, they are quite similar. Scientific research, forensic investigations. It's both about researching, analyzing and critical thinking. And also the topics, adolescent victims are a forgotten victim group. Eh? When you think about adolescents and crime, uh, you often think about adolescents committing crime, whereas in reality, adolescents are also often victim of violence, theft, and so on. And I think that for companies and fraud, I see a similarity. Eh? When you are talking about companies and fraud, uh, you often think about companies committing fraud, whereas in reality, companies are also victim of fraud by their employees or by uh, external people. Kun, how would you define fraud? Yeah, there are several definitions available. So almost every organization has its own definition. IIA has a definition. ACFE has a definition. But one of the definitions that I think is, yeah, one of the better ones is uh, in the COSO Fraud Risk Management Guide, where they say fraud is any intentional act or omission designed to deceive others, resulting in the victim suffering a loss or the perpetrator achieving a gain. So important elements in that definition is, um, first of all, intentional. It's not a human error. It's somebody doing something intentional. Secondly, it's an act or an omission, doing something or forgetting something. Third, you do that to deceive others, deceive an individual, deceive an organization, deceive society. And last but not least, the victim is going to suffer a loss. And more important, even you as, as fraudster will gain something with it. You will gain money, you will gain uh, maybe a, a better reputation. So it can be a lot of things, but you will gain something out of the fraud. Yeah, the, the intention is very important. Eh? It's not about mistakes. The fraudster really 
wants to commit fraud for one reason or another, and they are very creative. If they want to commit fraud, they will find find a way. We have a lot of cases, of course, where uh, goods are stolen, but even there, you name it, and someone uh, probably already committed fraud with it. Uh, for example, also the Imbev case, uh, your, the, the driver uh, thought that, okay, maybe I can uh, turn beer into water. So that's an important thing that uh, if they want to commit fraud, if they feel pressured, they can be very creative. Gerwinde, can you tell us something more about fraud by omission? As Kun said, fraud is a general term, but the fraudster really wanted to commit fraud eh, for one reason or another. And yeah, you you can commit fraud by doing something, but you can also commit fraud by consciously avoid to do something. Eh? You can, for example, choose your niece as a vendor instead of contacting several vendors uh, in order to let the market play. Or you can decide not to report on the exact amounts of deliveries to be able to take some stuff for yourself. Eh? Fraud is also typically something that grows. Eh? Uh, you can have an, an internal accountant who transfers a small amount of money to his personal bank account. And then uh, he waits. And when he observes that there is no reaction, there is no control, he might go further and the fraud might evolve larger amounts more frequently or also other types of fraud. What, what can organizations do to control the risk of fraud happening? Yeah, before you control, obviously, you need to be aware. So an organization should... First of all, try to uh, understand, try to identify what potential fraud can happen to this organization. There are tools available uh, to do that, to help you with that. Uh, one document that I often use in, uh, in my exercises is a, a publication by COSO, the COSO Fraud Risk Management Guide. And that guide talks about a couple of principles Principles that are important for an organization to follow, in fact, to fight the risk of fraud. And one of these principles is, like I said, knowing that fraud can happen and what type of fraud can happen. And once you know it, you can think about controls to put in place, control the risk of fraud. You can do that in many ways, obviously. Eh? An organization typically has a lot of hard controls in place, like policies and procedures, uh, reporting, management information, that all helps to control the risk of fraud. But even that is not enough. Somebody will need to validate, to verify whether indeed the fraud risk is under control. And this is where internal audit comes in. Internal audit in a lot of organizations is an important function to help the organization to fight all the risks, but also, of course, the risk of fraud. So that is important that you identify it when it happens, but of course, that you control it before it happens is even more important. Unfortunately, fraud is going to happen. You cannot avoid that. And therefore, it is also important that uh, there is like a hotline, a whistleblowing function, in place in an organization that can help management, that can help the organization to detect fraud as soon as it as it happens. Gerwinde, do you know about some large fraud cases in, in, in large companies versus fraud cases in, in small companies? Yeah, in general, in general, uh, large companies are more structured. Uh, they have more procedures, more more policies. But even then, they can be confronted uh, with fraud. Uh, we all know uh, the big uh, corruption case at Siemens. 
Siemens had uh, the highest ethical standards. They were compliant with all models, rules. But then there was fraud. So it turned out that all those things, all those business guidelines, codes of conduct uh, existed only on paper. Another example is the emission uh, scandal uh, at Volkswagen. That was a very specific, sophisticated type of fraud that could not have been foreseen. Um, so you have big cases in big companies, but as I said uh, in the introduction, those cases are in the media, but those cases are cases in which the company committed fraud. Next to that, you have the companies who become victim of their uh, own employees, for example, and we have a lot of examples, hundreds of examples of uh, employees who uh, commit fraud against the organization. But yeah, when you, when you then look to small companies, Again, in general, small companies, there you have less structures, they are less fraud aware, and, and they do not have a detailed risk analysis. They are both on confidence in, in their employees. And then when you have there, uh, for example, the accountant who uh, uses the visa card on gambling websites, then you have a shock in that organization. And I believe that that employee who worked there for 10, 20 years and who was trusted by everyone uh, committed fraud. But also in large organizations, you can have that shock and eh? that someone who was trusted by everyone uh, committed fraud. So I think that large companies, small companies, they are both confronted with fraud eh? just because of fraudsters or that are so creative. Eh? You, you cannot, as an organization, you cannot be 100% fraud proof. Another, you can also have collusion from outside of the organization. Eh? Uh, we had a big case in a big company where uh, the where there was collusion between the, uh, the security staff and the organized crime uh, outside of the organization and they arranged everything. Uh, and so they, they, they were able to uh, steal during the night very valuable uh, goods from the organization. You have differences between big and small companies, but uh, in general, they can be confronted with frauds, both of them. Kuhn, what is, what is your vision on this, uh, small companies versus large companies and the fraud cases there? Um, and maybe any tools that, that can help uh, small companies as well? I think both uh, IIA and also ACFE, they have quite a lot of tools available. Uh, these tools uh, are often available for free. Uh, go to their website and you will find uh, a lot of information there. I think what is most important for me is uh, tools that help you to think like a fraudster. Uh, be aware of what could happen in your organization. How can uh, somebody defraud your organization? So the ACFE fraud tree is, uh, is one of these tools that you could, uh, you could use. And it's uh, a tool that helps you with understanding what fraud schemes, what fraud risks could apply to your organization. The, the tree exists out of three branches. One is uh, misappropriation of assets, sim simply theft, theft of assets, theft of uh, goods, materials, services, information, uh, whatever. A second category is a financial statement fraud. In fact, I would even extend that because, yeah, only not only financial statements, but think about uh, the green reporting, greenwashing. So every reporting can be uh, abused. And the third, the third category is the bribery and corruption. Uh, so these three main categories are then subsidized into, let's say, about 50 fraud schemes that uh, that are possible. 
And that tool, that helps you a lot with uh, the identification. Apart from that, once you understand better what the, the potential fraud risks are in your organization, you need to come up with some controls. How to control that fraud? Both ACFE and IIA are offering a lot of uh, tools. And some of these tools are gathered on a, on a great website, uh, Fraud Risk Tools. In fact, that is uh, a complement to the COSO Fraud Risk Management Guide. And on that website, you'll find 10, 20 examples of uh, policies that an organization, also a small, small organization, because indeed there are differences uh, between a large organization and a small organization. Segregation of duties, for example, is very difficult in a, in a small organization. But even such a small organization can do a lot of things uh, already. Thank you, Kun. The fraud risk, is it really that high? Because I can imagine organizations face so many different risks. And, and should fraud risk be on the top priorities of companies? It should, I think. And if you look at the charter of, a, of an audit committee, obviously only large organizations typically have an audit committee, but every organization has a board. The board is concerned about fraud because this is one of the threats to, to the organization. Uh, ACFE is doing a study every, every two years called uh, ACFE Report to the Nations. And you mentioned the number earlier, 5% of revenue is lost to, to fraud. And that also is a great tool for auditors, but not only for auditors. In fact, for a lot of people in an organization to understand how can we better control that fraud and how can we minimize the fraud level in the organization? Because indeed, it is pretty high. So you have to do something and there are a lot of things you can do. Indeed, uh, controls are very important. We discussed already the, the different type of controls, maybe harder mm -hmm. controls in larger companies. Mm -hmm. um, Herwin, what about the human aspect and the importance uh, of the human aspect? When you look at fraud, uh, when fraud occurs, you have three factors that are uh, almost every time there. So we have the uh, motivation, some kind of pressure of the fraudster to commit a fraud. Then you have uh, the rationalization of the fraudster, it's some kind of justification why he thinks that he could commit a fraud. And then you have the opportunity and the opportunity. That's uh, why we have all those measures. And, and I think that's the most the factor that is the most uh, easy to control, the others are, are more difficult, but they are important. Eh? Uh, you can you, you you also can have measures like pre-employment screening, an employment screen or post-employment screening to work on the fraudster, eh? the the human aspect. But I also want to stress that it's not because those factors are there that there will be fraud. It's not because someone is at a certain moment under financial pressure, for example, that he thinks that he has a justification because he thinks that his salary is too low or something and that he sees an opportunity that there will be fraud. And so that's important. And also, um, I do not want to give an, the wrong idea of a fraudster. A defraudster does not exist. It's not about someone with specific characteristics. Yeah, there are criminals who uh, are looking for opportunities to make their move. But in a lot of cases, it's about normal employees, examples even, um, that at a certain moment in their lives are 
because of their circumstances under some kind of pressure. And then when they see an opportunity, they might commit fraud. So it is important to work on other things than pure technical measures. It is important to make sure to raise awareness to leaders uh, that they are aware that they also have a, a good relation with their uh, employees in order to make sure that they can observe some signs uh, that that there might be problems with, with the employees. Um, it's also important to raise awareness because it's not always clear what is acceptable and what is not. Um, but it's also important that they know when they see, when they observe suspicious behavior of their colleagues, that they also know, okay, that's not okay. And maybe I have to report that, especially for uh, the managers. That's also important. That can be of help that the managers know uh, red flags as some things that they have to pay attention to. Yeah, I can add. I can add to that. In fact, because I do believe that uh, soft controls are as important, even more important, probably, uh, than than hard controls. The only problem is, of course, that these soft controls are much more difficult to audit. Uh, an internal auditor or somebody else in an organization with a control function will need, from time to time. Uh, evaluate the controls, how these operate in the organization. Do these controls uh, minimize the, the risk of fraud? So I think an auditor, each audit team should at least every couple of years have an audit uh, looking at the culture in the organization, how to tackle that. I would say, look at HR. HR is playing a very important role in an organization. HR is responsible to hire people. So the in-stream of people, because fraudsters, they have a history. Eh? A fraudster will have committed fraud in the past. That's a, a very high chance. Secondly, when your employees enter in your organization, you have to train them, you have to coach them. Of course, HR is also playing a role in the evaluation of people. People will have to perform, but also People will have to commit uh, to being, to stay ethical and to comply with uh, policies and procedures of the organization. So also performance evaluation, you have to include there an ethical aspect, the values in an organization. Uh, these values drive the company culture, but you have to evaluate your people also. Do they comply with, with the value? And last but not least, sanctioning people. Also there, I mean, people will commit fraud. It is a fact. It is a reality. So you have to have a process in place to, when it happens, well, investigate it, obviously, but then also do something against that fraudster. Make sure that the fraudster is aware upfront of what sanctions could, uh, could be uh, implied to him. We once had an employee and that was about stealing time and uh, not stealing money or goods, but stealing time. And he went to the company, a large company. He went to the company in the morning. He batched. He said hello to everyone. Uh, he went home. He went home for the whole day, for the whole working day. And in the late afternoon, he took the train and he went back to uh, the company to batch out. And he was able to do that for more than one year. 
because there was no control. But it's also important that you make all those risks very, very concrete for your specific context for the organization so that it's for the managers on the floor. It's very clear what are the risks for me that you really translate all those possible fraud schemes in very concrete things. Because another thing that is very important is management override. Eh? You can have a procedure, you can have all the procedures to say, okay, uh, that fraud cannot occur. But uh, when what to do when a director asks an employee to do some purchasing outside of the procedure. And so you really have to to think about all those risks in a very concrete way in your organization to make sure that the measures will be uh, effective. So it looks like we have to face reality. Controls will be in place, but they will not always be effective. So fraud will happen. What then? How will it most likely be picked up? According to the ACFE report to the nations, it takes on average uh, about two years before fraud is uncovered. And there are tools that you can put in place to um, help you with uncovering fraud earlier, like, for example, a hotline, a whistleblowing system. Um, and in fact, the same study uh, highlights that uh, about 40, 42% of uh, fraud has been detected via whistleblowing. So that's a very high percentage. So I want to talk about the role of internal audit um, as well. Many IIA standards refer to fraud, um, especially IIA standard 1210 tells us that internal auditors must have sufficient knowledge to evaluate the risk of fraud and the manner in which is it managed by the organization. But they're not expected to have the expertise of a person who's primary responsibility is detecting and investigating fraud. Kunde, the second biggest source of detecting fraud is internal audit. So I think we can all agree that internal audit plays a vital role in detecting fraud. However, for many auditors, it's very difficult to assess where an internal audit stops and where the fraud investigation begins. Are there any best practices on tasks performed by an internal audit? and when to hand over to a fraud investigator. I would make a distinction between an interview, an auditor, as an auditor, we trust people. We believe that the person sitting in front of us will not lie to us. He will not tell everything. So we have to ask the right questions. But assuming that we ask the right questions, we will receive the correct answer. Obviously, a fraudster may not be that honest uh, to you. So then it turns into like an, an interrogation almost. And this is when the auditor has to stop. The auditor only has to validate facts, whether the fact was uh, created by an error or whether it was really a fraudulent act and that the person did it with an intention. That's not for the auditor to find out, to be honest. The auditor just need to needs to know Okay, what is now the situation? If there is indeed deviations from the policies and procedures and there is indications that fraud may have happened, then it should be turned over to an investigator who will go one step further and start interrogating uh, people, start uh, doing some additional validations which an auditor, I think, is not uh, specialized in. Herwindo, what should internal audit consider? in deciding whether to consult with forensic experts? For me, internal audit and, and forensic investigation, it's about two different things. I think that when it's about real investigation, that it is important that uh, it's not done by the internal auditor, 
Why? Because I think that you have to be able to start your investigation with an open mind, with an open mind on the facts, the scope, the people possibly involved. And when you're part of the organization, I think that you cannot be 100% objective because I think that unconsciously you take already some context, some experiences, some perceptions with you. For me, forensic investigation, it's a, it's a specific approach. It's a profession in itself. It's about critical thinking, thinking out, outside of the box, strategic questioning. And it's, it's another way of, of looking at things. So for me, it's important to distinct those uh, both uh, professions. Can you give us some insights in the different stages of an investigation? Yeah, you have uh, you have some standards. For example, there is a new standard uh, of the uh, IFA, the uh, Institute for Fraud Auditors. And there you have the identification in the beginning, then the planning, the initiation, the execution, and the uh, closing of the investigation. So the in, uh, identif identification, that's about uh, identifying the irregularities, possible people involved. Then you have, of course, to plan your audit. So you have the audit plan. You have to think about possible sources, possible information and then you have the investigation you have the initiation of the investigation and that's more about hidden actions that's like in the beginning it might be important to preserve some information to have some surveillance uh, even and after that you have the real investigation with interviews data analysis it forensics uh, and all that and then the closing of course is about the validation of the findings uh, the reporting and then afterwards the archiving but you have some steps you have some standards but yeah, you cannot, we cannot plan every time upfront all the different steps. Uh, uh, every case asks for a different approach. And also during the investigation, we, we might have to change uh, the investigation. So there are some standards, there are some steps, and it's important that you have uh, that canvas, but every case is uh, different. Is an investigation very different from a regular internal audit? I think it is, to be honest, because uh, and then an investigation starts kind of from an in incident, something happened, and the investigation will try to uncover the bigger picture, obviously, while internal audit normally uh, does it the other way around. Uh, we start from the bigger picture. Uh, we are going to start from the objectives, try to find out, find out what the risks are, what controls are there or needed, and how can we test these controls. So he will then find uh, things, uh, have observations, have findings, and these findings will uncover some some things that were wrong. So I think there are similarities, obviously, but there are definitely uh, differences as well. Kerwin, the digital disruption is also one of the main risks that organizations face today. Are there any breakthroughs in digital forensic technology that organizations, large or small, can implement? Um, when you talk about detection, yeah, there is some evolution. There are techniques uh, developed uh, for detecting fraud, for detecting cyber attacks that rely more and more on machine learning, on uh, artificial intelligence. And they do work, but also there you still have a human. You still need a human to check false positives, but also to make sure that you catch the false negatives. Eh? There's an evolution. There are, are certainly uh, things that will help and that can certainly help for the organization. But the human aspect is still important. Those exist, but uh, I, I don't think that we can be replaced by machines. Uh, not yet. <laughs> if I may summarize this session, it's not a matter if, but when fraud will happen in organizations. Do not 
underestimate the human factor, and last but not least, think like a fraudster. Thank you very much, Kuhn and Gerwinde, for those valuable insights. And if you want to know more about fraud risks, take a look at our website, iiabelgium.org, and check out our training portfolio. Thanks a lot. <laughs>